We're supposed to be here at 8.30. I got here quarter to nine and I pull up and I don't know what was in one of those parking spots, but it was like clothes bundled up. It was black. There was a can. There was a, you know, some, some food utensils. I don't know what it was, but I had to sweep that up. That was interesting. Then we go in and, you know, clean the bathrooms and the, the men's stall is locked. We're like, okay, it's locked from the inside out. So uh, Jeremy was kind enough to slide underneath on that dirty bathroom floor and get that and get that door un- unlocked. And then uh, if that wasn't it, we took Kalos to go get, you know, I usually do that, I take him to the loop in the morning to get something to eat when we're running late. And, and I don't know if this kid was just shoveling food in his mouth, but all, I, all of a sudden I turn around and he's just chuking it all over the place. So if you were in the first two rows and you smelled that throw up, that's my son. Yeah, smelling like throw up and quick. Uh, Michelle said he's not sick. It's just uh, the fact that he was shoveling food down his throat. So in any event, that's that's been the morning so far. So, hey, you know, good times. I'm excited this morning. Um, we're going through, we're still going through the book of Acts. We're, we're starting off in chapter 11 of the book of Acts. And I've entitled this message, God Glorified Despite Criticism. And if you've been with us uh for the last several weeks, it seems like we've kind of been going through this scenario of uh, the Apostle Peter and this vision of this white sheet that came down from heaven with these animals. Um, but there's so much to to be learned and to be gleaned from from this passage. And, and I truly believe that this is the case. And that is why the Lord will repeat himself. It's not by happenstance that you find this account in the next chapter of the book of Acts. In chapter 11, we will see Peter now returning to Jerusalem. Now, he's a Jew. He's a Jewish Christian through and through, a Jew before he was a Christian, and then he was converted upon understanding and believing that Christ was the risen Messiah. So upon his return to uh, Jerusalem, because he had been out, you know, uh, witnessing and spreading the word, one would think he would be received with open arms because he was doing good. He would be congratulated for, for doing the Lord's will. But, but as we will see in these short verses, he's instead greeted with criticism and a lot of criticism. The definition of criticism is this, the expression of disapproval of someone or something based on perceived faults or mistakes. And this is what was going on. The 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 uncircumcised, meaning the 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 the, the thorough the thoroughbred hardcore Jews who, you know, lived and died by the letter of the law, they expressed their disapproval of Peter for the actions he displayed when he was in Caesarea. This is what the Jews had for Peter. They had this this criticism and they had this, this, they were holding contention against him. There are several main points that I'd like us to focus on in our short time this morning. The first one is to serve the Lord, you must believe and trust him despite what you see or what anyone else says. Amen. You must serve the Lord and believe and trust him despite whatever other chatter or noise is going on. Right. We serve an audience of one. And in that there's going to be critical times where you're going to have to make decisions that may not be popular, that may not be that may be contrary to what other people believe or think. But we have to hold fast to our obedience to the Lord despite what others around us may think or say. And in due time, the Lord will reveal to all what his plan was in that. Amen. The second main point is, if you wholeheartedly serve Jesus Christ, at some point in your walk, you will face criticism. That is just part of the nature of living countercultural. And and the Bible is as countercultural as you can get. The Bible speaks of, the narrow gate. Many are on the broad road 
and the broad road is 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 easy and you kind of get the things you want you get all of the, the 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 trimmings of what this life has to offer but walking the narrow path you may be looked upon as you're a bigot and you're narrow-minded but the reality is it's criticism that each and every believer will face at some point in their walk with Christ and it's because Jesus himself faced this as he came down from heaven to earth and and lived for 33 years so we will go through that as well and the hardest kind of criticism mind you for many of us will will come from those closest to us maybe you've experienced this where it's not necessarily maybe your brothers and sisters in Christ or even your your neighbor who's a non-believer or your coworker who's a non-believer but maybe it's somebody in your family your blood and 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 you share with them your faith and it just cuts to the heart because of the 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 insensitivity of of how they respond to your faith and your believing in Christ and you're just broken by the fact that how could my loved one deal with me in such a cold manner these things tend to happen to the those closest to us and the third main point is only Jesus Christ can redeem and ultimately change the direction of a person's life. It's the person, amen, it's the person in the blood of Christ. It's not activities, it's not a step group, it's not a psychologist, it's not trying to do better, it's not uh, any of those things, it's not good works, it is the person of Jesus Christ himself indwelled in every believer in the person of the Holy Spirit that does the redemption and the changing of direction in one's heart and one's life. So some of this will be reviewed. Some of it we will somewhat glance over. And these main points I'd like us to focus on because there's so much to glean from uh, in these verses. So let's just go ahead and look at Acts chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, and we'll, 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 we'll camp out here for a little bit. And it says, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Well, the first thing that we should take notice of in, 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 this, in these first couple verses is that the word of God spread. Remember, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem and from there unto the ends of the earth, which was this region at the time of the Middle East and of Asia and, 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 and Russia, that whole area of the world. From Jerusalem, the, the gospel was spread. The good news of Jesus Christ was put out to these different regions in the world. The work that had been done in the hearts of the Roman Gentiles in Caesarea had not gone, gone unnoticed. That's where we just were uh, as far as when, when Peter left for Joppa to Caesarea. That's where Cornelius was. That's the whole thing when they're talking about the Gentiles. He went into an, uh, a house with Gentiles and ate with them. This happened in Caesarea. And this was a big deal. The, the, the news had traveled People had heard, people were, 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 were hearing what was going on. Gentiles were being saved. This is unheard of. We have never experienced this in the history of mankind. This is meant to mean the, 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 the greatness of the work of Jesus Christ. It had an effect on other communities. It wasn't just in Jerusalem where this went down or just in Caesarea, in this man Cornelius' home, but the fame and the notoriety of Christ and what the Holy Spirit did uh, to these men falling upon them, baptizing them in the Holy Spirit had spread. Who has ever heard the term, good news travels fast, but bad news travels even faster, right? And what that's meant to be is this is true. This was this was all good. There was nothing bad about it. But you see, anytime something good happens, what Satan's tactic, what he loves to do, he's an emulator and he wants to emulate almost to the T to make it seem like it's right, but it's wrong. And he wants to uh, despise God. He wants to despise Jesus Christ. And so he wants to make a mockery of it. And so with this good work that happened, 
obviously these these uncircumcised Jews who who lived, excuse me, by the letter of the law, they had not understood the grace of God to be saved from the law. And so they clung to the law so much that when they heard that these Gentiles were saved, they did everything unbeknownst to them under the influence of, uh, of an unclean spirit. And they were criticizing. They were spreading rumors. They were mocking Peter at what he had been used to do. Everyone had something to say about the miraculous events that took place in the home of Cornelius. There were those who were moved by hearing about the great work of the Holy Spirit. And that was those were those Gentiles who were saved and even those uh, those Jewish new, newly Jewish Christian converts that were alongside Peter. They were awed and wowed by the work that the Holy Spirit had done. And so they were praising God for this. And then there were those who were embittered by it because they felt that Peter had betrayed his Jewish heritage, what his upbringing was. Okay, that's a little bit of background with these verses. So what's the point? How does this relate to your life and my life this morning? Well, it's simply this. The application is nothing you and I do goes unnoticed. Nothing. Everything you and I do, someone is going to see it. It's going to have an effect on someone else, whether good or bad. Whether we want to believe it or not, our actions have impact. Whether we can see it or not, our actions, there are implications to our actions, good and bad. An example, who's ever took in a smooth stone? Maybe you've gone to Lake Cunningham or somewhere where there's a body of water, right? And the water's still. What happens when you get that smooth stone and you chuck it along the water. What happens? It skips. Good. And what does the skipping produce? Ripples, right? Right? Ripples. And, and those ripples expand, right? They reach out farther and farther and farther, as far as that body of water will go until it hits something solid. From that one action, from that one movement, that whole body of water is affected. By your one action of obedience to the Lord or disobedience to the Lord, your sphere of influence, this world, is affected day in, day out. We don't even realize the ramifications many times of our decision making and how it affects other people. If you're married or if you have kids, you probably see this clear as day. Your actions, my actions, they're either going to have a calming effect or they're going to be detrimental to the lives around us, our spouses, our children. You know, um, you know, if 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 you're stressed out and, you know, your kids see that and you don't handle it well, it affects them. You know, same thing is if something good happens and you're tested by the Lord and how you deal with that praise your children, your wives, your husbands, your friends, your family, they see that. And so that is the application with this because they didn't realize how impactful this interaction with Peter and Cornelius was going to be and how the Holy Spirit going to that home and falling upon those Gentiles. I mean, they didn't have internet back then. They didn't even have, you know, uh, donkey and buggy. So, I mean, it was like somebody had to go on foot and for someone to spread the news from Caesarea all the way back to Jerusalem, hey, did you hear what's going on? Man, they, these Gentiles are getting saved. It's a big deal. They're talking about they have the same spirit that we have as Jews. It was a big deal. This was something, again, that was unprecedented for this time in history, and it was having an effect on everybody. Make Going back to this ripple effect and analogy, we, we want to be those that, that make tsunami waves for Christ. Amen. We want to be impactful. 
in not only our families' lives, but the church that we call home, um, the outside people outside of the body of Christ. We, we want to be that sweet aroma. We want to be that sweet fragrance to others. And, and that comes by living an obedient life, submissive to Jesus Christ as much as we can in all our dealings and living a lifestyle that is obedient to him. Next, we see that following Jesus Christ will win you critics. Following Jesus Christ will win you critics. Not everything that everybody's going to have to say about you is going to be all great. There's going to be many people that will despise you for your faith, that will question why you're choosing to, to serve a God that you can't see, why you decide to not watch certain things on television or not go to certain places or certain events or activities anymore, and you'll be criticized because of it. Many will have much to say, good or bad, about your commitment to Jesus Christ. But the reality is we should only care ultimately what he thinks about us and not what others think. And I'm not saying be insensitive to what others have to say, but there's going to have to come a time in your walk with the Lord where are you going to be a people pleaser or are you going to want to please the Lord, right? Many times you look in the Bible, the Lord asked men and women to do things and they didn't understand what the Lord meant by it. But the bottom line was, are they going to serve Christ or are they going to worry about what's going to be said about them and serve people and ultimately themselves? God bless you. Come in. It's good to see you. <laughs> what a pleasant surprise. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25 says, and I love this verse because if, if you struggle with confidence and if you struggle with Oh, man, I just I just I just I just have a hard time dealing with how people perceive me and, and I need the Lord's strength and I need peace about the decisions that I'm making because I really want to honor the Lord and I don't want to be swayed by what others think about me. Then I truly believe this verse will speak to your heart. And it's found in, again, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25. And it says, fearing people is a dangerous trap. But trusting the Lord means safety. And many times that's how it is in our walk with the Lord. Trusting people, it's a dangerous trap. Do, do we want to appease people so we don't have to have difficult and hard conversations and we don't want to be ostracized? Or do we want to rest in the safety of the Lord, of Jesus Christ, and know that we have to obey Him, right? And, and, and the thing is, the Lord will work in others' hearts and the Lord will reveal and show people. It may not come in the time we want, but at some point the Lord will reveal and, 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 and you know, you never know. That other person may come and have peace and be like, the Lord spoke to me and I understand that. I didn't understand on the front end, but now I see what the Lord was doing. And thank you, brother. Thank you, sister, that you were obedient to the Lord and you didn't just Go ahead and go off of what everyone else was telling you to do. Now, that the other side of that is you don't just want to be a rebel and you're not hearing from the Lord. You just have a personal uh, you know, perception of something and other people in Christ are telling you, you know what? No, man, you're not. You're going the wrong way. And, and we're not listening to, to, to good, wise counsel. See, so it is a balancing act. Uh, because many people have gone that route where they say, oh, I've heard from the Lord. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that against the counsel of other godly people, and they've gotten themselves into a whole heap of mess. That's that's how cults start, because somebody says, oh, I've I've interpreted what the word says, and, and this is what it says, and this is what I'm going to do. And then you have David Koresh's, and you have Jim Jones's, and you got just, you know, Joseph Smith's, and people just t dragging people away from the true and living God, because they believe that they've had this vision, but it has not been confirmed by other believers, right? That's why it's the counsel of many is good. Notice that not only did Peter link up with the uncircumcised Gentiles, but he also ate with them. It'd be one thing to be like, okay, well, I met and I engaged and I talked with them, right? But, but Peter <laughs> went a step further and he not only met with these uncircumcised
in this day and age, back then, sharing a meal together was a special sign of fellowship. It was very intimate. It was very valued. There was a lot of weight put on sharing a meal with someone. And, and you know, it might be the fact that food was, was scarce back then and, and, and it wasn't easy to come by. You didn't have refrigerators. I mean, things would perish much quicker. But in any event, the sharing of a meal in that culture was very sacred. It was not something that you just did flippantly with anybody and and there wasn't any value attached to it. It was a very big deal. Something so sacred like this to be shared with a Gentile, if you were a full-blooded Jew, was despicable. This was like to be looked down upon. It was just something you did not do. Um, this is probably a corny example, but I'll share it anyways. It's like, you guys know the Ritz-Carlton, right? In Half Moon Bay? Man, this thing is expensive. I mean, they talk about, you know, $1,000, $5,000 a night. I mean, you know, crazy, you know? The view is magnificent. Just an immaculate hotel, right? That's like someone pulling up to the Ritz-Carlton in a broke-down Datsun. Do they even make those anymore? Who bought them out? Who make, who, who, I don't know what it was. Nissan, okay, what I'm I'm dating myself. <laughs> Rolling up to the Ritz Carlton in a broke down Datsun, looking like some riffraff, hair all disheveled, grungy, scrubby, you know, clothes mitchmash, probably smell bad, didn't take a shower for a couple days, trying to have a dinner date with somebody of prestige, like somebody that actually belongs there. That that's what this interaction was like if you were, you know, from the outside looking in. It's like you have no business in this establishment driving that kind of car dressed in the attire that you're dressed in, trying to link up with this person over here who's immaculate, who has got a line of credit so long they can buy a couple houses with. And you trying to say you're having a, a, a dinner meal with this person. No, it doesn't work. That's. It's a corny example, but that's kind of the idea that we're getting here with Peter going into this home of uncircumcised Gentiles and dining with them. It was something that was like oil and water. It just was not supposed to mix. This is by man's perspective, by man's standard, not God's, but by man's understanding, this was not to happen. But again, this event is so important in Scripture because it basically confirms that Jesus Christ came not to abolish the law, the law of the Jews, the law that they prided themselves on, but he came to fulfill it. No longer did one have to go through all the ritual rites to become a Jew and put themselves under the law of Moses. One could now repent and become a believer in Jesus Christ just as they are. And that's what this whole picture symbolizes of Peter going in and dining with these uncircumcised Jews. It was basically the Lord confirming, I am going to allow my son Jesus Christ, or I have, excuse me, because this had already happened. I allowed my son Jesus Christ to go to the cross, not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. That means all people. And that's what was encompassed in this interaction here. The next couple verses, this is going to kind of be where, uh, again, Peter explains from the beginning what happened. I'll quickly read through it, and then we'll just kind of unpack these verses. Uh, again, we've, we've heard this before, but again, there's much reason and mention of why it's put here in Scripture in chapter 11 of Acts. So I'll go ahead and read, excuse me, it was verses 4 through 15. It says, But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great, a great sheet descended, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, animals and beasts of prey and reptile and birds of the air. common or unclean has ever entered my mouth but the voice answered a second time from heaven what god has not called common times and all was 
drawn up again into heaven. God bless you. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa to, uh, excuse me, and bring Simon who was called Peter. And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved and you and your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. So, I mean, if you just look closely at those verses, it's not, it doesn't take rocket science to understand. The Lord said, do not call unclean what I've made clean, for nothing's common. He also had this vision revealed to Peter three times. So you see the repetition. So there's something so important and, and it's fundamental. It's a fundamental uh, principle of the Christian faith. The Lord didn't want Peter to miss this and neither does he want us today to miss this. The fact that what he has made clean, no one can call unclean anymore. There is no confusion that Peter recalled this whole experience from the beginning. That's what it says. It, he, he, he recalled all the events. He said, starting in the beginning. This may seem very insignificant, but it is extremely important. And I'll tell you why. This is important because he had nothing to hide and he wanted it to be clear what actually happened. And so he started from the very beginning so they could know exactly this is where it started and this is where it ended. The application. How many times have we heard or done it ourselves? We tell only half the story. <laughs> we don't start at the beginning. We got something great we want to tell somebody but we're not starting at the beginning. I mean, you know, I mean, I guess I'm guilty of that because we do it a lot. And that's where Kalos gets it from. He's telling us something and he's not starting from the beginning. He's starting where he wants to start because he wants us to hear the part that, oh, it's all good. But he doesn't want to start where it really begun <laughs> and where it really happened. Right. And, and you know, it, we laugh because we know we're guilty of it, too. But this is what Peter was trying to avoid. I mean, think about it like this. It's like that exercise that they used to do in grade school, right? You, the teacher would say, okay, I'm going to whisper in this child's ear from one end of the classroom. I want you to repeat in their, the next person's ear, and it goes all the way through. By the time it gets to the last person, that story is so convoluted and messed up. You know, it could have been something as simple as Jimmy went to school with the peanut butter sandwich, and it turned into something, something else like, no, there was a peanut butter something, and I don't even know what happened to the lemon, and somebody was doing jumping jacks because everybody added their little tidbit. It didn't stay the same. But Peter was trying to just clearly show an example of this started from the beginning and this is what happened. There was an order. There was an order. The application for this is we serve a God of order, not disorder. It's just not a hodgepodge. It's not just loosey-goosey, we're just going to show up and do whatever we want. There's an order and it's not about, it's not about being legalistic and it's not about being strict and, and and it can only be done like this but but God is a God of order the true and living God and, and and I and I I know this as it's been revealed to me the Lord wants things done in a certain way in a certain fashion example for us this means the way that we do things in our Christian lives should reflect the order of God solely based on impulse, even if they're good things, even if they're things that that we know the Lord has called us to do. How, how, how many times have you heard from the Lord, but the Lord didn't tell you to do it right then and there? And our thing is, we hear from the Lord and we're just, we just want to jump in and we just want to get it done. I'm going through something right Edward, this is the time, but it's, I've had to wait. It, it's not, it just, you just can't do it because you think this is supposed to be done. 
it has to be confirmed because timing is everything. Is everything. What happened to Saul? Saul got scared. He didn't let Samuel do the offering like he was supposed to. And what happened? He brought judgment on himself. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't, he wasn't, he wasn't in the position to, to, to give an offering to the Lord. And it was his demise because the timing was off. But he was so scared. He was so ready to do it because he thought it was right. But it was the wrong timing. We don't want to be in that boat. We want to go on the Lord's time. Amen. Like a meal or a meeting or a service. Shouldn't we pray and thank the Lord for a meal before we just go in and eat? Again, timing, order, asking for his guidance and direction before we embark on something. Or do we just plunge ahead in our own strength? Peter had finally come to understand that God's plan stretched far beyond just the Jews. I love this verse. It's a timely verse, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And do we understand that society... The world we know it is hanging in the balance based on that verse and other verses that 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 support this belief that God the Father's desires that none perish. That is the reason why the Lord is allowing time to continue the way it is. And Jesus has not come back and administered final judgment upon the world is because his desire is that those that do not know Jesus Christ and have not made a true profession of faith would be convicted and would turn to God before time runs out. And again, this is where people will say, you're out of your mind. I'm going to go ahead and make my money and work for this Fortune 500 company and do what I do because you're wishing on a well thinking that Jesus Christ is going to come back. We haven't seen this character supposedly in over 2,000 years, but this is people that are talking out the side of their neck because if you look at all the archaeological evidence, not that the Bible needs any support of all that, all everything confirms that he was a real person. All these places you could trace it back, all the lineages of all the different tribes of Israel you can trace back. There's overwhelming, insurmountable evidence that points to uh, the true and living God. And his desire is that none perish. But because of our wayward bend towards sin and our bend towards selfishness, many choose not to want to respond to that gift of salvation. But again, this is the reason why the Lord stated, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Peter then goes on to say that he and the men with him went into Cornelius's house. We're back to, okay, they went in. And this was what the big problem was. They went into this Gentile's house and they broke bread. They had a meal with them. And this was something that you just didn't do. The Jewish men that Peter was speaking to, they couldn't figure out. They, they viewed entering a Gentile's home as one of the worst things you could do. But see, in, this, in, this, in these verses 4 through 15, which I just read, Peter pointed out something very significant. There was, who was, who was with Cornelius that was not his family? Cornelius said something or someone appeared to him. Who appeared to him? Angel. An angel of the Lord appeared to him. Let me tell you why this is so significant. If a Gentile home was good enough for an angel of the Lord to appear, I think that house is good enough for a Jew to go in, <laughs> right? But, but again, they were not sensitive to the spirit. They were not sensitive to what was going on. You know, that's like when we hear a story or we hear an account and we're really not listening for the whole thing. We're listening to what we want to hear, <laughs> They, were, they, were, they didn't hear this because if they would have heard this, they would have been convicted in their hearts and they would have been moved to be like an angel of the Lord. 
revealed himself to Cornelius? Maybe there's some significance here. Maybe there's something to be said about this. But our buddy Peter, he understood this. And if an angel had already appeared to Cornelius and the Lord revealed this vision to him of unclean, clean, rise, get up and eat. Peter's like, it's all good. I can dine. I can interact. I can fellowship with these Gentiles and it's all good. In our day and age, what that means is, you know, you can interact with different cultures. You can interact with different people. You're not going to get the cooties, man. You know, if somebody, you know, some cultures, they, they like to use certain things that smell kind of maybe pungent to certain other people. It's okay. It's okay. A little curry never hurt nobody. It's good for you. You know what I mean? And that's not, that's no offense to anyone of Middle Eastern descent. I'm saying, you know, I just grew up in an era where, you know, those people used to get picked on. We, you know, we'd see them wear the head wraps and we, we don't understand what their culture is and why that they wear their hair like that, but they get bagged on, you know, and, and, that, and that's not right. You know, as an immature child, yeah, I took part in it. As a grown adult, I'm ashamed of it because I would, I would, I would dare not act like that anymore. You know, uh, it's okay. You know, it's okay. There's something to be said if we don't want to interact with people, you know what, we're going to run away because... You know, people that are not from this country are moving in. Well, you know what? This country is based. There ain't nobody American. If you really want to keep it real, we're all a bunch of immigrants. You know, talk about the, the native Indians. This was their land before we came. So, you know, if anything, we need to take it up with uh, Miss Hummingbird and, and everybody else. You know, Hummingbird. I was uh, actually we went to a play and one of the this side note, one of the, the young ladies that was performing. She's actually the princess of her tribe. Uh, down there in Fresno and her her first name was Hummingbird. I was like, dude, she's got to be Native American. There's no way, you know, there's no way that, that she has a name like that. But anyways, well, unless somebody was on dope, huh? you know what I'm saying? Uh, next, we see that the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us in the beginning. This is speaking of the Holy Spirit fell upon these Gentile, these, 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 these dirty dogs. That's what they were considered dogs, not even people. These dirty dogs, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just like they fell upon the Jewish people. This was a very important conclusion. It showed that God's stamp of approval was on this work towards the Gentiles. Basically, the Jewish Christians who oppose this understanding, they had no basis to deny the Gentiles when God had already accepted them. They had no basis of saying, no, you're unfit. That's like, who, who, who are we to say you're unfit when, when the Lord has revealed himself to, to, to you? The application is simply this. Let us not be those who look down on others, meaning we think we're worthy of Christ. But 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 my brother, my sister over here is not. That's like, I mean, and I and I and I pray that the Lord brings somebody. That that's like somebody coming in here, and they look disheveled. Maybe they don't got no shoes on. Maybe they smell like urine. Now I get it. You know, everybody's scared of this, the the Corona thing, and you know, I don't want to touch you with a ten foot pole. I use a crook, and you know, whatever. You know, we're your cool. But it's like for real. This place should be welcoming to everybody. The Bible speaks to that. Somebody that comes in, <laughs> they're dapper, they smell good, their teeth are like fake white because they're so shiny and they bleach their teeth, you know? Their eyes are perfect. You don't even see any, you know, capillaries in there. And they're like, oh, here you go. You get this beautiful seed and, and somebody goes and runs and gives them a donut and somebody go gives them a nice hot cup of coffee. And then somebody else comes in and it's like, homie, you're in a you're in a jean jacket and, you know, you're all ripped up and you, know, you just I don't like the way you look, dude. You just look crooked, bro. I think that you're going to steal something. I'm saying obviously, right. Use discernment. You know, we're not just going to let somebody run up in here acting a fool. But but if we're. If we're partial, what does that say about us? What does that say about our hearts towards people? Because the reality is the non-believer is not the enemy. Satan and his minions are the enemy. Non-believers, they are those who the Lord is desiring that they don't perish but come to repentance. 
how are they going to come to repentance if we're treating them like trash and being like, nah, dude, I'm just, I'm good, bro. I'm going to reserve my witness. You know, you're worthy of my, 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 my witness, but this person, pff, bro, you look like you're strung out, bro. I am strung out, but I'm searching for Christ. True story. I've, I've, I've had friends that they, they show up, hopped up on something at a service. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but they're trying to seek the Lord. Maybe there's really is an addiction where it's like, dude, they're seeking the Lord. What? You know, and, and that's what I'm saying. It, we can't have this fixed idea of what we think the gospel is like or who it serves. It serves everyone. Amen. Come as you are. You know, we're not going to help you with your, you know, your habit. We're not going to enable you. But I don't want to push people away that they're seeking the Lord. Come with your baggage. Because that's what Jesus would have done. He's not turning people away. Don't have a spiritual fat head. <laughs> lest it get popped. Well, I mean, I say that to myself every day because it's the reality. If we don't have a teachable spirit, we are of no use to the Lord. Hear me on this. Because even in ministry, it gets confrontational. People think they're above being told something that they don't want to hear. If somebody has an issue with you or if someone has an issue with the way certain things are being run, hear them out. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. But if we're over here like, no, I'm, I'm the leader of this ministry and this is the way it's going to go because this is the way it's always gone. The, the, what the Lord has shown me is, is it biblical or is it personal? You know what I'm saying? Because we take what we want to say as a personal conviction when it's we mask it as that, but it's really just a personal preference. <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. If it's that, let it be that. If it's biblical and you have biblical grounds and you can prove that this should not go down, then let's talk. But we need to be those that are approachable. We got to be approachable. People should be able to feel like I can talk to you about these sensitive matters and not feel like I'm going to get my head ripped off and feel like I'm going to be hurt. You know, if, if, if we're in ministries and if we're in the church and, and people don't feel like they can come up to us, that's not good. That's a bad look. I love I love uh, I love how uh, Caesar interacts with my son, because, dude, that man, a grown person can come up to him, but also a little kid can come up to him. And that's the way we got to be. You know, if a little kid can't approach you, there's something to be said about your countenance. You're just that's just you got some weird kind of stuff going on that you got to get right between you and the Lord because you got to be able to be approachable. It should be an older person that should be able to approach you and a young child should be able to because they, they can read. They can they can sense, you know, are you approachable or not? And this is the same way we need to be with people. Romans chapter three, verses 23 and 24 speaks to all this about none are better than any others. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And, and again, this is another great verse that settles it once and for all. There's no distinction between Jew and Gentile, black, white, rich, poor. You know, at the foot of the cross, everything is leveled out. You know, it all equalizes everything. We're all even. We're all equal. We're all sinners needing to be saved by grace. And, and, and amen. And, and looking at it from that perspective is going to give you and I the opportunity to exercise that grace to other people. How, how desperate is the world for grace today? I don't think it's Jesus is not doing what Jesus does. I think it's Jesus's people are not doing what Jesus's people are supposed to do. Right. We're, we're making a mockery of the church and wonder why people ain't getting saved because we're out here buying expensive jets and doing all this other stuff. And it's just like, keep the focus, the focus, man. It's about Christ. It's not about gimmickry and gadgets and all this other wizardry and stuff to lure people in. All we got is Christ, but Jesus is everything. All you need is Christ. Let the Lord build his church. It's not our church. I don't care about the name Resilient Life. We could scrap it. It's Jesus Christ. It's it. I just, I, I, I'm, I just feel so strongly about that because it, it disgusts my heart to see what men have made of God's church. Acts eleven, verses sixteen through eighteen. 
And I remembered the word of the Lord, and he said, and excuse me, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God saying, then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. What a, what a powerful few verses and statements that is. Verse 16 is a great example of how the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all we need to know at any given time. Example, have you ever had a conversation with someone and all of a sudden just some verse pops into your mind and you're like, and you share it with somebody, you know, the Lord brings to remembrance these things. It's because you have a relationship with them. One, two, he wants to move in and through your life and he wants to influence the person you're engaging with. And so the Holy Spirit is bringing to your attention something that he would like to impress upon this individual. Remember, as a believer in Christ, you are his hands and his feet and his mouthpiece. And he'll bring to remembrance these things. But that only comes from one, submission to Christ. Two, obedience to Christ. Three, keeping short accounts with the Lord. Actually having a relationship, right? Relationship. It's not about religion. It's about having this constant interaction, engaging, you talking, him talking, you listening, him listening. That's what goes on. And that goes. that's what goes on every time you and I open up this book. That you want a strong relationship with Christ? Get in the Word of God daily. Get on your knees. Get prostrate in your house, on the floor, and pray. And ask the Lord for wisdom, vision, direction, guidance. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask you to do nothing I don't do. And I'm not bragging. I'm not, I don't have a spiritual fathead. All those disciplines the Lord has impressed upon me. This church is surviving because of prayer and because of the Lord and because of people's obedience to the Lord. That's about it. Everything else we don't care about because the Lord has to sustain it. But he's not going to sustain it if we're not going to be serious about our relationship with Christ. Amen. Amen. This statement... in Luke chapter 3 verse 16 it was already known back then that water baptism though a command by Jesus Christ was symbolic and I don't I don't mean it like though it was a command saying that we don't have to engage in it Jesus did command everyone to be baptized in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit but we also have to understand that it was symbolic. Bat water baptism is basically like when you get married. If you choose to and you have wedding bands, you know, the symbol of a circle, you you know, infinity, you're going to be infinite, infinitely connected. That's the same thing. That's like someone saying, you know what, I am publicly professing that I want to be born again. I am going to go down in the water. My old man is going to die. I'm going to come out of the, the water regenerated in Christ I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, and so I will get baptized. That is what it symbolizes. That is the purpose behind it. Not at all to denounce Jesus' command to do so. We still should. There should be people willing to still be baptized in water. But that water baptism does not save you. It identifies you publicly as a believer in Christ as Christ is the head, and you and I as followers of Christ. Side note, this is why submission to Jesus Christ is so important. I have a question. I'd like to see, I'd like to have somebody answer. If we don't acknowledge God as God, who becomes God in our lives? Us, we do. We deify ourselves and we become our own gods. 
This must not be. Right. We live in such a self-centered, self-proclaimed society. We see this going on all the time. If we don't acknowledge God, that means we have free reign to say what we deem is right, what we deem is wrong, what we should do with our lives. It's just not rocket science. You know, you and I don't keep our hearts beating in the middle of the night while we sleep. We don't keep our lungs breathe, pumping air and oxygen through our bodies. So, I mean, you know, just even with that, it's sim pretty simple. It's like there, there's somebody else that's in control. Shouldn't we bow down to that power? We know crystal clear who it is. It's Jesus Christ. Submit. Submit. But it was the supernatural baptism of the Holy Spirit that allowed people to have the strength and wisdom to live for God. Paul spoke about this too. In Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, I love these verses. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And see, this is where you cannot confuse the supernatural baptism of the Holy Spirit, because he's saying, do you know that we've been baptized into Christ and baptized into his death? Who has died in here a physical death? Nobody, because we're all still here. So obviously the baptism he's talking about, it's a supernatural baptism, right? And I can't explain it. I can't explain it. All I know is at the point of conversion, one is baptized with the Holy Spirit. You are sealed. And then the sanctification process begins. And you know that you have the promise of eternal life with Jesus Christ. And you can never be plucked out of the Father's hand, right? And, and this is this is something so important. And this is what was going on in the lives of these Gentile believers. They were supernaturally baptized with the Holy Spirit. I love this next point. We're almost done here. Then Peter goes on to say, how can he stand in the way of God's purposes? Again, this, this confirms that it was God's plan and not Peter's to save the Gentiles by the same means that the Jews were saved. There are many beautiful scriptures that display God's heart towards his creation. I, I like this one in particular, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. When he saw the crowds, speaking of Jesus Christ, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's his heart. That's his heart. That's, that's the whole thing. This is, the application is, this is the main point of why Jesus Christ offers salvation to Jews and Gentiles alike. He, has he is compassion. I mean, what a blessing that is to serve a compassionate God. Because he could have incinerated us. Well, look at what happened back in, in Noah's time. God was so frustrated with the fact of, man, I've, made, I've created these human beings. They have free will. They're rebelling against me. I'm going to find one man with his family that are honorable and, 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 and not worthy, but, but, but are, are loyal to me. And everyone else, I'm just going to wipe away. I'm going to flood this whole place and get rid of them. I'm going to, you know, not that God would say that. That was me. I'd say, you know, I mean, I, I'm going to drown them like the cockroaches they are, like Mr. Wonderful on Shark Tank. But he didn't say that. But he's still, but you know what I'm saying? That, but that is the reality. But he's he's compassionate. He's compassionate. He he saw that that we're we're helpless and and we're harassed and we're wayward like sheep without a shepherd. Apart from God, as the worship team comes up, we are like sheep. We're helpless in our sin without a shepherd. You know that sheep are prone to wander and go astray. They're not very smart animals. We're not that very smart of creation apart from the Lord, no matter what human intellect will tell you. But this is why the shepherd has a crook, that, that, that tool, to reel 
those sheep back in. We are the same way as people. Jesus Christ knew this, and so he gave his life that we may be saved. This is the last point, and this is so very important. And this this speaks to the compassion of Christ. We see that the Jews in opposition, they fell silent. After all the clamoring, after all the criticism, after all the, what are you doing? You can't be eating with Gentiles. You can't be going into their home. You're tripping. You're out of your mind. You're a Jew. You've just desecrated yourself by messing with those people. The reality is that we may oppose God's plans, but in the end, no matter how much we disapprove, his purposes will prevail. But the great thing about this passage is that it shows that these Jews, despite their heavy opposition to the Gentiles receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit, eventually they allowed God to soften their hearts and correct them. That was the whole point of them falling silent. They allowed the Lord to correct them. If you see Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, it talks about what comes out of the nature of the human heart. Evil thoughts, murder, adulteries, fornication, thieves, false witnesses, blasphemies. But the incredible thing is God gave new hearts to not only the Gentiles, but to these unbelieving Jews as well. And today, he can give you a new heart as well. Amen? I'll end with this verse, Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. And it says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in with you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And that's, I mean, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the Lord to do a work that only he can do within our hearts. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, thank you again for your compassion and your love for us. The fact that your desire is that none perish, but all come to repentance and to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and their Lord. And Father, we we thank you for your patience with us. Father, I know that there are those now that are on the fence, Lord that are, they're struggling with this, struggling with the idea of truly accepting you and submitting all of their lives to you. Father, I pray at this moment that you would speak to their hearts, Lord, and that you would convict hearts, Lord, that you would cause all of us to see there's no way out but through you. If we oppose you and if we rebel, it's not going to end well for us. We don't know the number over our head, the day that you will call us home. But Father, today is the day of salvation. And so I pray that we would take heed to that call and settle it and do business with you now. And the Bible says, as in a minute, we're going to take communion and have it open for those who are followers of Jesus Christ, who have proclaimed Christ as their, their Savior and their Lord, that this is a way of remembering what has been done for us, the breaking of the, be- the bread, excuse me, the shedding of his blood represented in the cup of the grape juice. If you are a believer in Christ and you are willing to have the Lord do business with you or you do allow the Lord to do business with you, partake. The Bible says, if we take the cup and the bread in an unworthy manner, we are bringing judgment upon ourselves. So before we go to that table and partake in communion, just allow the Lord to sift your heart. If you haven't given your life to Christ, the first step is proclaim and ask that Jesus would save your soul. Does no good to, I mean, the, you know, the cup and the juice, they don't save. It does, it does nothing if there isn't already that relationship established in the foundation of your heart. And for those of us that are believers in Christ, let us remember that. Let the Lord examine your hearts 
every day, every Sunday, there's something that the Lord is going to pick and prod at because we're in the process of sanctification. So as I continue to pray, let's just uh, remember that and and go before the Lord. Father, again, as we begin to partake in communion, Lord, we're grateful that you've provided this, this symbolism to us, Lord, to remember, Lord. May it be fresh in our minds. We don't want to do things out of ritual. We don't want to just do things because it's set up on Sundays and we just do it and, oh, we just, you know, a cracker and the juice and whatever. No, it's a, it's a serious business. It's a serious thing to know that you allowed your body to be broken for our sins, past, present, and future, that you allowed your blood to be shed for us, Lord, that we could have redemption, Lord, that your perfect, pure, sinless blood cleanses everything. You cure everything, any addiction, any brokenness, anything that could ever come up in life. Lord, you are victorious because of the blood that was shed, and we are victorious. We get to partake in that. So, Father, help us to remember this. Remember the sacrifice that was done for us. Lord, we thank you and praise you. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray. Amen.